When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are the Lakers going in the right direction? Who are the free agents they realistically have a chance at getting? Can the fans stay with them long enough to get back to winning time? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today I am excited to bring on friend of the breakdown, Matt Belinsky, who is also an upstanding member of NBA Twitter and a resident expert on Lakers fandom, as well as maybe a few even insider tidbits on the Lakers we're going to get for him. So, Matt, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Coach Nick. It's been a while. It has been. It's been too long. Maybe one day we'll actually hang out in L.A. in the uh, in, in IRL. Yeah, <laughs> in, in, the in real, the elusive in real life. Absolutely. We'll make it happen. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, let's 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 break it down. You, you're going to drive today. Let's let's talk about the Lakers and and what is going on in the state of uh, Laker dumb these days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a lot going on, right? Because you know, uh, aside from being the Lakers, they've they've taken an interesting trajectory this season. Um, you know, particularly uh, let's call it the from the middle third on of the season, and you know, they're they're lined up to be at the, the crossroads of a lot of interesting storylines um, this coming off season. And uh, and it, it always seems, you know, uh, it, it's it could just be it could be a kind of relevancy bias here. But it always seems that, you know, the conver- a lot of the basketball Twitter conversations being, you know, driven by Lakers fans and and checking in on their pulse and just, you know, seeing seeing what people are talking about. And that it's been a while since we've really felt anything. And that's kind of the message I'm getting from other members of, of you know, the, the Laker fan community. It's like, oh, my God, it feels so good to finally care about these games again. And, um, you know, we understand that the playoffs are out of reach. Um, you know, can't necessarily say we're playing for anything tangible, but uh, it's been an interesting dynamic to see uh, to, to, you know, lose a little sleep over over the results of the Lakers for the first time in quite some time. For sure. Well, I just did a video not too long ago that was, I mean, the title was centered on Lonzo, but it really covered all the Lakers and how well they've been playing in a very sneaky way. I feel like maybe people weren't really aware that they were winning a, a ton of games. Uh, and, you know, even in the last 20, it's leveled off a little bit. They're 12 and 8 in the last 20. But that is a, such a far cry from where we've been with the Lakers in the last, I don't know, was it been four years now of, of a lot of losing? Pretty much, pretty much. And just the, the tenor of it, regardless, I mean, I'm thinking back to, you know, 2011, 2012, and then 12, 13. And, you know, you're coming off a disappointing end in 2011 when we were expected to, we came in with a pretty strong team and were expected to to make the finals at the very least again. You know, uh, who knows if we we're going to beat, beat the Heat and, you know, their, um, their first uh, season together. But, you know, as a sour ending to 2011, you go into the lockout season, um, basket, you get hit with basketball reasons, and that kind of sours that entire season. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a burst of excitement and enthusiasm 
from the, the Howard signing in the Nash trade, and then it's just a disaster from day one. And even though an interesting Kobe off offensive season, at least in 2012-13, salvages it a bit until the injury. I mean, even that season was was a little bit sour. So I mean, it's been a while. It's mm -hmm. it's really. I mean, we 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 reached the the you know the about as high as you're going to get as a sports fan with that you know game seven 2010. But I mean, we're going on you know six seven years since we really had had something to feel good about. Um, and it, it, it's been interesting because you know you wanted to temp, temper expectations with a rookie point guard. And you have some interesting young talent, but um, you know everyone was really you know pointing towards the off season and, and just try tempering their expectations. And I were you know if, if we want to talk insider uh, in, insider specs, um, you know some pretty credible sources told me that in you know, the Palinkas, the Magic's, the world that they expected to make the playoffs this year. And that, you know, while obviously that they were shedding salary um, and and reorganizing things for the future with the uh, Lopez Russell trade that, you know, bringing on Brooke, bringing on KCP and, you know, having someone like Lonzo, who even is inexperienced, could be a transformational player. They were expecting to make the playoffs. And, you know, that comes from coming from a cynical fan, fan you know, from the perspective of a cynical fan such as myself. And that seemed completely crazy, and I'm sure it seemed completely crazy to you know most other observers out there. But then you take a look at what's happened, and you know over the past let's call it 30 games, um, a lot of injuries, you know both to some established veterans and a couple members of the core, um, you know trading out Clarkson and Nance, who are two very productive players, and you could even say were underrated players um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, you know that their their results have been pretty impressive. And uh, I guess the question at this point is like, what, what can you take away? Well, uh, let me, can I, can I light Kobe up for a minute? Since happy. we're talking about Kobe and we're talking about that, that era sure. of the D'Antoni. Cause I was just talking about this the other day. Uh, Dwight Howard comes and you know, it, it's pretty clear to me and you probably agree. Kobe has no um, say over whether Dwight comes or is not. He's on the team. Right. And that's, that's how it is. Right. Kobe sure. didn't know. So, so here's my take. Obviously Kobe didn't like the way Dwight Howard prepared, didn't like the way he practiced didn't like the way he, I guess probably either played and like he didn't play hard enough. And he kind of sort of took it upon himself. I felt like he was going to educate him to some degree and like how this is supposed to be done. When in reality, it's like, here's the guy you have. This is the team you have. You need to figure out how to make that work rather than somehow simply expect someone else to completely and radically change, you know, way deep into their careers. And I think that that was an interesting fundamental, you know, approach that Kobe probably will never be able to take, right? He simply needs you to bend all the way to what he expects has to happen or else it's not going to work. Sure. That, that was definitely at play, but I think there was one variable that accentuated that, and that was the fact that D Dwight Howard was not at 100%. I mean, mm -hmm. he probably wasn't even at 60%. Um, if you go back and look at media from, you know, the 2000, going into 2012 offseason, uh, Dwight was not expected back till December. And that, is that, and that was an article of faith when the trade happened. Um, Bernie Bickerstaff, you know, during his short uh, inter interim turn as coach, even let the cat out of the bag. Uh, he was trying giving an answer to a reporter and he was trying to sugarcoat why the team was underperforming. And he said, well, we're even ahead of schedule because we didn't think Dwight was going to be back till December. Mm -hmm. um, you add that to, you know, uh, a, a contact of mine who had been on Dwight's marketing team told me, I mean, maybe after the second or third preseason game, um, ran into them uh, at breakfast and they told me that I don't know why Dwight's playing right now. He literally it takes him 15 minutes to get out of bed in the morning. And I didn't believe that could be true. Why, why would why would the the organization 
you know, it's just that's just bad player management. That's bad asset management. That's that's just not a, a sound medical approach. And then you go watch him on the court those first few games in 2012. And I believe it or not, I remember it was game one. I mean, this is Dwight Howard, four-time defensive player of the year. And Elton Brand, who was coming to the, the end of his road, goes around Dwight like his feet were stapled to the ground. And after that, I was like, okay, hold up. Something's not right here. Mm-hmm. And so if you had superhuman freak athlete 2010-2011 Dwight Howard – doing whatever he was capable of doing, uh, the clash of personalities all of a sudden, you know, doesn't become such a big issue. If he was really, I mean, you go back and look at, at Kobe, you know, during that season and he carried an enormous offensive load, did some incredible things, but people on, you know, understate just how badly he, he, bad he was on defense. I mean, he, he was, a, he was a statue. Right. Okay. So if you're, if you've got Dwight there pretty much mopping up all Kobe's mistakes on the defensive end and dominating, all of a sudden, you know, this becomes a manageable, uh, the, the personality gap becomes manageable. It's just like, listen, I mean, Paul Gasol was not exactly a Kobe Bryant type, you know, but because he was skilled, because he was capable, they were able to to bridge that gap and, you know, and Paul got on board. So, right. um, well, you like, could also, you could probably argue that because of the championships, that kind of gave Powell, and, and maybe rightfully so, uh, some extra sure. cachet with Kobe, even though you could argue that it was Bynum who did a lot of that hard work on the defensive end to cover. Sure. And by the way, Dwight Howard's numbers in that year, he played 76 games, scored 17 a game, 12.4 rebounds, 2.4 blocks. I mean, he was still, you know, uh, some re- reasonable version of himself. And sure. it, to, to know that Kobe probably, you know, wh- why was he getting out of bed and, and playing when he was completely broken down? I mean, prop, right? It's probably because he, Kobe... The, the Kobe influence, right? He sort of had no other choice the way that culture was set up. Is that fair? I think it's reasonable. I do think that in that circumstance with Dwight coming off back surgery of, you know, of, of that scope that they could have held him out. And there were, it was definitely, I, I can remember the eye test. I mean, it, you, you would watch him play and you're like, listen, if this is the most effort that this guy can expend on the court, he shouldn't be on the court. And it just, it speaks to how good he was and how commanding a presence he was that he was able to still be relatively productive. But through, you know, through the the first two to three months of that season, I mean, there's a very good argument to be made that he should not he should not have been on the court. Um, and then uh, there's just it was just a domino effect because you think, okay, had they held him out, had you had a a, a serviceable Steve Nash, um, you know, you would you would have been able to that team would have been able to keep their heads above water, um, you know. But then looking back on it, it's, listen, if you've got you're starting Chris Duhon, you have no no Dwight, you have Pau Gasol, on, you know knees with uh, two semi-arthritic knees at that point. They had to hold him out for a couple weeks, I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, did you really want to hold Dwight Howard out? And then the Lakers end up, you know, going uh, – uh, they're, they're 12 games under 500 and the playoffs are inescapable. So, I mean, it was just uh, the snake bitten from start to finish. Um, and then, I mean, we could get into, you know, their performance during a similar phase as, as the Lakers teams this season's performance um, from just before uh, the midway point of the season towards the end of the season, where they were actually pretty good. They had a top five, top six record. Um, they weren't unfortunately able to test out, you know, the sustainability of that in the playoffs because of Kobe's injury. Um, but at, at that season, in retrospect, you just got to throw your hands up at. And another thing you can throw your hands up at is the fact that 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. Have you started putting sunscreen on the top of your head? Does it take one rub of the towel to dry your hair after a shower? 
You've got to act now if you want to maintain those silky smooth locks. And the way to do it is with 4hims.com. They connect you with real doctors and medical solutions to treat your hair loss. It's really easy, and you don't have to have that awkward scene in the doctor's office where they have you bend over and cough. Well, uh, that's the wrong ailment, but you get the picture. There are so many weird solutions guys turn to when they just need to go to 4 a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. So head over to 4 That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com. Answer a few questions, and their doctors will review and get you what you need to stop that hair loss. Get a month of hymns for just five bucks when you go to my special URL, 4 slash Coach Nick. You'll save hundreds of dollars compared to a doctor or pharmacy. So type in 4 slash Coach Nick and keep that hair where it belongs, out of your ears and nose, and back on the top of your head. You know, we had gotten you gotten through the Byron Scott years and the, oh. and the shepherding of the Kobe end of his career thing. And mm. which we don't need to, we've, we talked about that ad nauseum. So we get to Luke Walton, who instantly, well, I don't want to say instantly, but certainly the last year, Byron Scott, 17 wins, and then he juices it to 26 last year. And mm. now this year, they're at 31, and they're on pace to get, I don't even know, by like 37, 38 wins. So another big 12, 12 13 win, you know, jump over year to year. Mm. So, um, and yeah, and by the way, like, right, like, I, I could almost understand why they think, okay, we could probably compete for that eighth spot in the playoffs this year. And had it not, so tell us what, what happened in like sort of the middle of the year that, you know, led them. Cause I think that they started out pretty well, if I'm not mistaken this year, but they must've had like a stretch there for about 20 games where they were pretty bad. Yeah. So it's a couple interesting dynamics at play. One is that they've been remarkably better on defense than anyone anticipated. Right. I mean, that's they, I, the first 10, 15 games, I mean, they were, they were top six defense. Yeah. Uh, no one saw that coming. Um, and while that's tailed off a little bit, I think that what do they have maybe a 15 spot jump in defensive rating this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's with integrating a rookie point guard. But then it's as it turns out, Lonzo is, you know, perhaps his most valuable quality is his defense. And, and very few people saw that coming. Um, Brooke Lopez, not exactly, you know, known as a as a staunch rim protector. Same thing with Randall that, you know, some of his physical limitations, his uh, wingspan and jumping ability um, have made him, you know, up to at least until this year, not a really a plus defender. So they've been very, they've been strong defensively the entire year. And I think people may be, be underselling, you know, I was going to be happy if they were a top 20 defense. So them coming in, you know, 11, 12, 13 within shouting distance of 10, um, that, that bodes very well. Um, so you've got that, and then you know one uh, one of the factors at play that does kind of give me a little concern in terms of the future is that a lot of the damage being done the last month or so uh, is being done by guys who are really not in the long term plan. Um, people have not been talking about how good Brook Lopez has been. Uh, Brook was he started off the season slow, had a little injury problem there for a minute or two. He has been a he's been a, a pretty unstoppable offensive weapon. Uh, for about six weeks now, and particularly in the type of offense, you know, because the, the issue with Lonzo is he's not able to, at this point, he's too gun-shy to really take the ball to the hoop strongly. He's not a good free-throw shooter. So he's turning the corner on defenders or coming off a pick-and-roll, and he's looking at he's, he, the 
he's he's going 90% pass, 10% shoot. Right. Um, and so you got to have you know you need screeners and you need role guys who can you know who can who can hit a shot. And if you're looking for a big guy who can set a screen and then still roll off the screen and be a threat from uh, a threat from three, I mean I I've, can't tell you how many times over the past month or so I've seen Lonzo take you know three four dribbles towards the paint. Lopez, you know, fades back to the three-point line. Lonzo throws, you know, what looks like a sloppy pass over his head, and Brooke Lopez drains a three. Not, you know, you don't have that many guys out there who can do that, even in today's NBA. So, you know, having that factor and, and having having that factor and that weapon in their arsenal offensively is covering up, you know, for a lot of other deficiencies. Um, and well, then wait, got- how, well, how concerned are you with a guy who's traditionally in his career been like one of the worst rebounders for that position of all time. So what do you make? He's averaging under four rebounds per game right now. Um, sure. You know, and let me see here. He's playing. Um, oh, it just jumped on me here. Uh, here he is. He's playing, you know, he's not playing a lot of minutes. He's only playing about 22.7 minutes. So per 36, for instance, just to give you a better example of what that is, he's still only getting six rebounds. So, you know, what do we make of that? And how does that fit into their long-term plans? Sure. Um, it's concerning. And, you know, yes, you're, you're certainly wondering if Lopez is uh, uh, he fills up the stat. You, you feel, you know, he, he, you can fill up the bucket, but he can't do much else. I mean, I've been trying to monitor him and watch him on defense. It feels like he's better than people give him credit for. Okay. He's obviously a subpar pick and roll defender. But, you know, the Lakers have been running a drop back scheme. Um, you know, they've been icing most of the pick and rolls. He seems to be moving pretty well and using his height relatively well and you know hey i mean with the amount of of minutes he has been getting which i think you know have been uh, exceeded his season average over the past six weeks or so their defense has been maintaining pretty pretty strongly and also much like you know uh, keeping and we'll get to this uh, we'll take this in another direction in a second but um playing randall and lopez next to each other um has been a real boon and much like Lopez's uh, ability to stretch the floor opens things up for Randall. Randall's kind of battering ram, you know, uh, hitting the glass uh, approach also kind of, you know, seems to cover up some of uh, Brooks' deficiencies on, you know, as, as a rebounder. And then you look at, you know, I think Ingram's been, had been rebounding pretty well. Mm-hmm. Lonzo's, uh, you know, an exceedingly good rebounder as a point guard. Um, so, I mean, hey, if I'm thinking, all right, who do I want to man the center position uh, for the Lakers over the next, you know, four or five years as the rest of the core develops. Lopez is not my first choice, but, you know, if there was some scenario where, okay, we signed Paul George, we have a mid-level exception, you know, uh, we're able to get Brooke for a relatively cheap price because nobody else has cap space this offseason, I could think of worse options than, than, you know, giving him a couple more years and seeing where this thing goes. Right. Fair enough. I, I hear you. And by the way, I've identified the issue we found in there in, in the middle of the year, why or what went wrong so much or so quickly was, you know, in November, they go on a one, two, three, they have a five game win, a losing streak, then they win two, then they lose another three, they win one, and they lose uh, eight in a row. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine in a row. So there's a stretch of, you know, of, I don't know why I just said 17, 18 games where they really, they lost, you know, the majority of those. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you think back in, at that time around, you know, so it's November 22nd, yeah. they lose to the Kings, and then they, they don't get up, out of that losing streak until they beat the Hawks in, on, in yeah. January 7th. Sure. Um, I think it was a it was a couple issues. One was just strength of schedule. They just ran, you know, they, they came out of the gates, the relatively easy schedule, a lot of home games, and then they just ran into a stretch of tough teams, tough games on the road. And then, you know, Lonzo kind of uh, going from, 
you know, threatening to set uh, records for futility in field goal percentage to becoming a relatively serviceable shooter, even though he's cooled off over the last few games. Um, I think he hadn't come out of that rut yet. Um, Ingram, you know, has progressed nicely over the course of the season, but he, you know, he, he really took off after that stretch. So I don't think, listen, look, what are you looking for out of a young team? You're looking for progress. You're looking for evolution. Um, Lonzo's progressed. Ingram looks great. Another issue is, okay, another, another factor here was Josh Hart. Much like Lonzo, Josh seemed to have the yips uh, early on in the season, that, that his shooting capabilities just did not match even a pessimistic view of, of you know, based on what he had, had displayed as a collegiate player, um, and that Josh couldn't hit the, he couldn't hit anything. So he, he, I think Lonzo was injured a little bit, Hart got some run, he got comfortable, he all of a sudden becomes a productive player. So that's also helped. Um, and it's also been a little surprising, you know, much with him and Ingram going down right about the same time, how uh, how sturdy the Lakers have held up over the past couple weeks. Um, so I think it was, it was you know, um, it, it was a lot of factors that you'll just see from a young team combined with, uh, you know, the strength of schedule. And uh, I'm hoping that the play over the last six to eight weeks isn't fool's gold. But, you know, between with Brooke, uh, with, with Brooke being this productive offensively and, I mean, KCP all of, out of nowhere, I think, has been hitting 41% from three. And that's, you know, one one item I was discussing a lot earlier in the year is Lonzo with a dead-eye shooter at the two guard. You know, that opens up a lot of options for him. And that's kind of, and you know, I didn't think KCP was that, but he has been that dead-eye shooter over the past month to six weeks. And that has, has been a real boon. So it concerns me a little bit that, you know, if uh, you Obviously, hey, if we go and grab Paul George or go or and or LeBron, um, obviously these become non-issues. But you know, you got a couple guys who have been very uh, key key factors in the Lakers' resurgence, and they might not be in the long-term plans. Right, I've been waiting for KCP for years to like suddenly figure it out. He's got a nice looking jump shot. I would have mm-hmm. assumed he forty percent would not have been uh, an issue for him. Um, and you're right, over the last like twenty games, he's shooting forty-four percent. I know it was even higher when I did my video. So mm-hmm. um, you know, so there's a guy that I, I mean, I don't know. The sample size probably isn't big enough to simply say yes, he is the guy that they want to play alongside Lonzo. But you also can't overlook, and again, you know, Lonzo gets should get a lot of credit. I really think he's a great player. He's going to be even better as he gets as he as he progresses. But um, he really hasn't played that much, right? Yeah. So yeah. like even even the last twenty games, he's played eleven of those. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like you know, so I, I look KCP is doing so much better because Ball is giving him the ball. But you know what? It's like half of the games he's still shooting well without Ball in there. It looks like sure. No, they, they performed very well. I mean, they, the, the team performed very well. You know, and the the offense looked great while Josh Hart um, was running point there for a while, which, uh, you know, bodes very well for the future. I mean, you have a couple people who, you know, I, I was trying to temper my excitement over the, you know, I, I don't watch much college. I, I saw maybe five minutes of Josh Hart, but when the Lakers, he fell to the Lakers in the draft, I had a couple very shrewd, astute observers who were, were pretty high on that pick. And uh, and from what we've seen us you know so far from Josh Hart this season, I mean it seems like they got a real steal and, and getting a <laughs> if someone who could be potentially an elite combo you know third guard uh, not not an all star but okay if he's if Josh Hart is your third guard who can play both the point guard and the, and the shooting guard position off the bench. I mean, that's a nice piece to have as your sixth, seventh guy. Oh, yeah. And I got roasted when I did a video. I mean, okay, maybe some hyperbole, but why the Lakers were the best front office in the league. And, and you know, the, there was a little context because, again, they switched the front office, right? You know, it's a new one this year anyway. But sure. whoever, maybe it should have been, you know, why they're the best scouting in the, in the NBA or something because – 
I don't yeah. think a team has nailed picks as well as they have over the last several years. Uh, and it's the Josh Hart's who I love Josh Hart, really a revelation to me. It's the Larry yeah. Nances who are not even not there anymore. But like those are the great shots. I mean, heck, Alex Caruso, right? Like there are yeah. moments when you're like, gee, this kid can play too. Oh, this it, he looks like a rotation player even more recently. Travis Ware, you know, you take a look at him like, okay, you know, hey, he's a he's a ten day contract G League guy, but. I think if you know in the modern NBA, you could do worse than having this guy as your ninth, you know, your 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 ninth guy in your rotation. Um, people are still, you know, it's it's early and he's a project, but high on this guy Thomas Bryant, who's tearing up the G League, and um, I saw him, you know, that hey, I I, I I'm I think some of my calls from Lakers summer league based on some of these rookies the last couple of years have been you know pretty solid, and I took a look at him, I was like, wow, a guy that that tall who can shoot like that. You know, if he can round out his game, this guy could potentially play. Um, and the Lakers scouting department has has really knocked it out of the park uh, over like the last four years at this point. Um, and that also bodes well for them, you know, having been able to you know snag a pick and, and who knows what their intentions are with that pick that they got from Cleveland. But if they end up keeping it and choosing 21 to 23, hey, um, you know, the likelihood of them being able to grab another you know young piece or young potential uh, rotation player pretty high. And by the way, as we are moving, excuse me, as we are moving uh, toward the end of the year, that that pick might—it's their first-round pick in in 2018, right? Yeah. So yeah. you know, we don't know where the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to end up. They don't yeah. care necessarily, probably where they, what seed they get, but you know, they could drop, uh, you know, sort of in that, you know, lower than that. It could be a 20th pick the way we're look going here. I think. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. They're so pat. You know that the the. Third and fourth teams in the East and a handful of teams in the West are so tightly packed record-wise at this point. I, mean, I think it's like you know something like maybe two games in the loss column away from being the 19th or 20th pick. And um, hey, I mean we've seen over the past few years how how high, you know highly those picks of that caliber are valued and being able to get that in the scenario you know that the Lakers did when they they were shedding salary that they needed to shed um, will turn out could turn out to be a good deal. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see. That's why you can't rush the judgment on those deals too much. But I wasn't that excited because I really feel like, well, A, they helped the Cavaliers pretty greatly. They needed that, although it has, it's kind of evened out now with, that, with their performances over there. But I, mm-hmm. I always liked Nance, and I always thought he would be, yeah. like even on, a, on, let's just say, on a title team, he would be a great like, second big off the bench. You sure. know, uh, you know, with the energy and whatever, and and eventually, I, I suppose he could still develop a better offensive game too. So, uh, that's the guy you want on your team, setting good screens, uh, getting rebounds, blocking shots. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens with him in, in in Cleveland. But that was the one guy I thought that they it would have been worth keeping. But you know what? It's unlocked Randall a little bit, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Um, and you know, let's be honest. There's a logjam there, right? I mean, you've got Kuzma essentially playing the same position. Um, Kuzma's a guy who likes having the ball. He deserves to have the ball. I mean, you know, looking longer term, you could. Uh, the Lakers are pretty adamant that Brandon Ingram is a three, but I mean, length and height wise, he's could you know qualify as a four. Um, and yeah, Randall t- kicking it into sixth gear um, has definitely kind of washed away some of the sins of, of losing. Nance. Um, so it doesn't seem to have hurt the team too much overall. I mean, more from just a philosophical standpoint, I just don't love give, you know, what's the point of nailing draft picks if you keep on having to give them away? Yeah. Um, and I, I get, I understand, you know, that they needed to in this particular circumstance, but, you know, and, and t- kind of taking that philosophy, you know, into the off season with whether or not they are going to sign Randall. I mean, Hey, I'm not going to be mad if the Lakers sign LeBron and Paul George. I, I obviously am going to consider that a positive, but if you're losing Julius Randle, 
and that yeah, you're starting to lose. You can't keep on nailing draft picks and then losing the guys for pretty much nothing. Like that's it's with the way that the modern NBA and the CBA is structured. If you nail draft picks, you, you got to be able to keep your guys. I mean that, it, that the league is 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 positioned for that to be of higher value. So you know I don't love nailing a mid 40s pick on J- Jordan Clarkson. I'm sorry for whatever you think of Jordan Clarkson. They got incredible value out of a pick in the 40s for him. Same with Nance. He's a great role player in the late 20s. And um, you know I. I I think it can all be justified based on, and don't get me started because this podcast will go six hours, but <laughs> in, you know, in having to uh, unfortunately shed assets to deal with the fallout from the Dang and Mozgov contracts, I understand it could justify the, the trade and letting them go. But if you add Randall to that, I, you know, it, it starts, it doesn't sit well with me um, to keep on having good young guys that you have contractual advantages to sign that you keep on having to give away. Sure. And let's just talk about Randall for a second, because in the last 15 games, he's averaging 21.9 points, uh, 9.7 rebounds, shooting mm-hmm. 61.1% from the field. Doesn't take threes, but he's shooting from the field you know, astronomically. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, he's a, he's a double-double machine, which is all, we always kind of felt like he could do and, and had shown plenty of evidence over the past uh, several years since he started that he, that's what he could sure. do. So, uh, yeah, I mean, is this the kind of guy that could be a starter on a title team? I, I think he's absolutely proven he's starter on a title team caliber. Um, I think it will, you know, if he keeps working and keeps stays on this trajectory, you know, then you start getting into, okay, borderline all-star territory. And I don't think that's unreasonable to, to project for him at this point. I mean, you, it's, it's, he's a tough one to analyze because of his aesthetics, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something that, you know, uh, my buddy Ethan Strauss always mentioned about Dwight Howard back in the day is that people, his, his, Post moves were herky jerky, but people always said he had none because it looked odd. But the ball, uh, you know, towards maybe his fourth, fifth season, the ball started going in the hoop. Like before he had the injury, and you know, and, and, and it, his career took a downturn. But Randall was one of these guys who, you know, a, a year ago you could have projected him as the rich man's Kwame Brown, as a guy who has just a, an, an elite combination of size, speed, and strength but doesn't have the coordination, looks awkward, and the ball just keeps on clanging off the rim. And we'll think, you know, to a certain extent, what seemed to change is that the ball started just going in the hoop. That a guy who's awkward and her- herky-jerky like that, I, you know, at this point, I don't really care how smooth it looks because the ball's going into the hoop at the rate of its 61% true shooting percentage. And, uh, you know, at that point, uh, the, the, you're not getting any points for style. Um, so, you know, He's, he's found a way to utilize those physical skills to get the ball to go into the hoop, even, you know, uh, and, and even if he is taking the ball up in a lot of congestion, even if he still doesn't have a real, uh, reliable outside shot. Um, but, you know, he, he made the progress I needed to see out of him this year. Uh, he's still only 23. He's got a few defensive deficiencies, but he is making use once again of that speed and that strength and, you know, is a great switching option. Um, not great on closing out on shooters, not as good in the post as you'd expect out of a guy that's strong. But, um, you know, what are you looking for? You're looking to see if a guy is a worker and there's always the risk that he gets paid and stops working, but that's a risk that you kind of have to bake into the cake with any, any player based on, you know, how the, the rookie contracts, uh, is skills structured. Um, so, you know, I think he's, he's worth the bet. I mean, it's it's really going to be fascinating because you've got a guy who may not get market value, what, what you think may be market value because of the particulars of 
uh, of you know who's got cap space this offseason. And it's like we the Laker fans are sitting here with this time bomb of pretty much just Dallas as the option to, to lay a, a big offer sheet on Randall. And, oh, God, the Lakers got to go make that decision at that point. But other than that, not that many people that – not maybe two or three teams at most that he makes sense for. Right. Um, so it's – I think – it, you know, at 18 million, I start to get queasy about him. But even at 16, maybe. But anything 14 or below, I think you have to keep him. Not, it's not discretionary. If you can get him for 14 million a year or less, you have to keep Julius Randle. So remind me, what's his status right now? Is he is he a restricted free agent? He's restricted. Yes. Okay. So that's an interesting question. Now, if they want to pay him 14, he wants to take 14. Does that have enough room for them to sign LeBron and Paul George? Yeah, I think you need to do uh, uh, make one other move of that you know somewhat feasible. Uh, Eric Pincus has written about this a lot and done a great job. But it, it's uh, you've also got the timing factor um, because you know it's it's all a matter of it, can you get a commitment from LeBron within the signing period for Julius Randle. So if someone drops the offer sheet on him day one and LeBron wants to wait till day seven to make his decision, you might have to sacrifice Randall for that. Um, I would I would not, well, I, man, I mean, if you lose him and whiff on LeBron, that is gonna not, I'm gonna be sour about that, and I think a lot of other <laughs> Lakers fans are for a long time. Um, not to get into, you know, I wouldn't even call it maybe conspiracy theory, maybe uh, uh, overstating it, but um, Randall and Paul George share an agent, um, there have been a lot of rumblings from, you know, other <laughs> other very, you know, credible observers that the Lakers have been, if you want to talk about tampering, that the Lakers have been in more contact with, with interested parties in the Paul George LeBron street sweepstakes than, you know, might be kosher. And who knows what the lines of communication are um, between the various camps that who knows this could be coordinated properly. Um, or who knows, hopefully nobody thinks that Julius Randle's worth 18 mil a year. Um, you know, the Lakers are able to hold on. Nobody sends it. He, he doesn't sign an offer sheet because there's nothing that overwhelming. And they're able to wait it out and sign him for 12 to 14 after, you know, seeing what Paul George and, and LeBron decide to do. What do you make of LeBron uh, supposedly walking around Philadelphia looking at schools? Um, well, I've heard enough rumbling, you know, I've heard enough commentary about, you know, what, what LeBron's at LA activities are supposedly, uh, mm -hmm. how, how you're supposed to interpret that. You know, I've, he's, I've got enough texts of LeBron spottings at Equinox Sepulveda. Um, Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, that, that's an interesting one. Um, I think there's a strong case to be made for them. Um, you know, I still think it's a, well, it, it there is one factor here and that Philadelphia is going to the playoffs this year. Embiid, Simmons, uh, Dario Saric, they're getting playoff experience. And I think that's an underrated factor here. Um, my concern with LeBron is he comes here, you get one year, sure, you see Ingram grow, you see Alonzo grow, Kuzma's playing well. He, LeBron's going to take these guys into their first playoffs ever. So you get, you know, Alonzo uh, uh, shooting the bed, Ingram shooting the bed in their first playoffs. You get after LeBron's first season, uh, you're gonna. Is he still gonna be happy and sit there w waiting around for you know season two to see if they if they uh, nurture and, and if they're a little more prepared for the playoffs? That's definitely a concern. So if you get a good playoff performance this year out of Embiid, Simmons, and, and the rest of the Philadelphia core, if you're comparing young teams with young cores, not only are let's just be honest, Philadelphia's theirs are probably better, but they're also a little more seasoned.
Yeah, well, and it's also uh, an injury issue uh, over in Philly too. We just don't know what how uh, how they're going to hold up. But I guess I always just sort of assume you know they're going to be healthy. They they've overcome whatever they have, and, and that's how it's going to be. So it's going to be an interesting battle over the uh, summer. I mean, my take has always been that LeBron has no business going to the West. I don't know why he'd ever want to do that. But yeah. um, you know, what, what about this? Do you have any uh, any other little insider birdies whispering in your ear about anything interesting stuff? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, if we're looking at the Lakers, it's it, after the the front office turmoil of the last few years that the Lakers are really trying to read the fans trying to read the tea leaves. Like, you know, uh, it, it, the the magic decisions seem to be made for some really good reasons, some reasons that kind of stink of you know the Lakers' of exceptionalism and and uh, and trying to re- relive the glory days and like what what's the interplay between Palenka and magic. Um, and you know, there's some, there's some things that I hear that are caught, you know, reason for concern. Um, we all love magic. We all think he's a, a shrewd business executive. Um, we sometimes question his basketball acumen and, and rating talent, but you know, I've definitely heard from a few different people that, um, as opposed to the Dodgers where he's essentially said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm the face and I'm the communicator and the marketer, but I'm going to leave the, the on the field decisions and the personnel decisions to the experts that he might be butting in a little bit more here. Um, I can tell you one thing that I've heard from over half a dozen people that are knowledgeable in the situation. Uh, neither the league nor the players are thrilled with the decision that they made uh, about their trainer. Um, you've got Gunnar Peterson. Uh, he is, you know, if you grew up in LA in the eighties, you may have heard of Gunnar Peterson because he was the first celebrity trainer. Uh, he is not a, you know, particularly well-regarded person in the sport, you know, in the, um, in, in the athletic community. I mean, he mostly trains, you know, he trains, uh, he trains the Kardashians. He trains Sylvester Stallone. So there are a couple moves that gave, that gave a lot of Laker fans or at least knowledgeable ones, a little pause, like, listen, are we, are we making decisions from the right place here? So there's definitely some concern that, you know, magic is steering the ship. Uh, you know, if, if you're, if you're thinking you're comfortable at him steering at 60% with Palink at 40, that maybe it's more like 80, 20, and they're making some other organizational, uh, organizational moves um, with the, with the wrong priorities and the wrong assumptions. Um, definitely hearing some people say that, um, I heard, you know, listen to Jeannie Buss's podcast with Howard Beck the other week. She, uh, I was very happy with how she framed things and, and understand, you know, and, and how, how she explained how, you know, the inner workings of the front office these days. Um, so, I, you know, it's still wait and see, but, um, that one in particular with the trainer, you know, that, that has, uh, that's kind of perked people's ears up and in terms of the Lakers maybe repeating past mistakes. Um, and also, you know, it's the question of, okay, do they have a plan B or are they just completely all in on LeBron for the summer? Um, I'm concerned. And, you know, there are some people chirping that they're a little too in on, uh, too all in on LeBron. Um, and, you know, it, it seems like Palinka's too shrewd to not have a plan B, but, I'm not. I don't know how comfortable everyone is with banking. You know, the the next five years of the franchise um, on a you know 33, 34 year old player decide. You know, who said and everyone forgets. LeBron has publicly stated he said this is my last stop when he came back to Cleveland. That that he's going to move on to greener pastures and he's going to come to L.A. So, you know, those are some of the concerns. I'm going to with withhold judgment for the moment, um, and we'll see how things play out this summer. Absolutely. Well, with that great breakdown and great insight into what's going on over in the Lakers. Uh, and uh, I'm curious, it's actually interesting to think that the 80-20 you said was in favor of Magic? Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. So you think that magic has more sway and more power than Palenka? It, it, you need context, and it would depend on the scenario. Okay. But yeah, okay. So let's let's think about it in terms of like Jim Buss and Kupchak. I think Kupchak. I think it's pretty clear at this point that Kupchak made some decisions that he was probably that if he was you know alone make, using his best judgment would not have made. But he had to make them because he knew where his bread was buttered. He knew who hired him. Okay. Similarly, Palenka knows who hired him. Jeannie Buss did not hire Palenka. She hired Magic Johnson. So is Palenka steering the ship day to day? Is are there a ton of a ton of decisions that he is the you know that that he he is the final authority on? Sure. But when push comes to shove, is he I think there is a concern that if Mag, if uh, uh, Magic has an impulse in one direction and Palenka gets the feeling that he's not going to be able to change his mind, that he would follow Magic down a path that he doesn't necessarily think is the optimal one. Interesting. All right, well, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out for the draft and all those different kind of things and free agents and LeBron. So uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. It was a great time as always. You got it. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Matt? I'm in. <laughs>